want us to have, thank you, Stephen. I want us to have a chance to look at Matthew's gospel in toto. It's 28 chapters long. We've got about, uh, what does that work out to? 38, 48 seconds a chapter. Okay? So we're going to go through the entire book of Matthew in 30 minutes, and we're going to do it with an eye towards what portrait does Matthew paint of Jesus? Each of the four gospel writers paint an individual portrait of Jesus. Now, it's the same Jesus, with, but, but just as Rembrandt painted multiple self-portraits, each one trying to grasp some different aspect of his character or personality, so we have four different gospel writers who write of Jesus. And while those gospels are well worthy of digging in deeply into each one, and it's something we will do over the coming months, each gospel should first be dealt with as an entire picture, in my opinion, so that we look at that gospel and get a really good feel for the picture or the portrait that's being portrayed of Jesus. That's our focus this morning. This class has got a written handout that's 25 pages long. We won't be able to cover as clearly in the oral presentation what's in the written handout, but I urge you to read it. I tried to write it where the substantive comments beyond the simple storyline are put into footnotes so that you don't lose track of the storyline if you want to dig into the substance. So do it however you see fit. Here's what Matthew does, and lots of scholars break Matthew's book apart in many wonderful ways, but I want to take a stab at it from this perspective. Matthew asks this question, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And that's the question that I ask you, and as we look at the Gospel of Matthew in toto, we're going to look at it with that question in mind. Who does Matthew reveal Jesus to be in this portrait? We start out with him revealing him in the very beginning as Jesus Christ. Christ being the Greek word for the anointed for Messiah. So this is, and it begins in Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the book of the genealogy is the family tree, if you will, of Jesus the family tree of Jesus, he's pronounced as the son of Abraham. He's pronounced as the son of David. Now, Matthew's writing with a real eye toward Jewish readers. And we'll break this down later and, and get into it in more detail. But even in the genealogy, he does that. He does it because he counts all 14 generations between Abraham and David. And 14 in, in a Jewish Gematria system, a numbering system, 14 is the number of David's name. And then he's got 14 generations from David to the captivity. And he's had to leave out a couple of well-known kings to get it to fit 14. And then he's got 14 generations from the captivity to, G to Jesus. What he's trying to show is the tie of Jesus, not just son of Abraham and son of David. Both of those being Old Testament men through whom the prophecies have been given that through their lineage will come blessing from God. Through the seed of Abraham, all of the nations will be blessed. David and his seed will sit enthroned till the end of the ages. Those blessings, Matthew says, are found in Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. 
conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, before she had known any husband, before she and Joseph had been together. And this was to carry out what was written in the book of Isaiah, Matthew says. Now, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant, and he thinks he's going to put her away because she's been uh, unfaithful to their marital vows. Which, two stages there in the marital vows at the time for the Jews. So he's going to put her away, but an angel appears and says, no, you're not going to put her away. She hasn't been unfaithful. The child's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Name him Jesus. Joshua in Hebrew, for he will save his people. And that's who he is. And he is born, he's born of the virgin, and this is to fulfill the prophecy that uh, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what we have in just the first chapter of Matthew. Jesus is Messiah. He's son of Abraham. He's son of David. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born to save His people. Emmanuel. God with us. And with that we get through chapter 1 and we get to chapter 2 where the Magi come. The Magi come and when they come, they, they've been following the star. And they come and they, they go to Herod and the wise people and they say, Hey, where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Because that's who we've come to see. Well, Herod calls in the wise men, I mean, calls in the chief priests and the scholars and says, uh, where's, where's Jesus is supposed to be born? The Messiah is supposed to be born. They say, oh, Bethlehem Ephratah, because of the Micah passage. But for you, Bethlehem of Ephratah, from you shall come one who is the ruler, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And so the wise men go down to Bethlehem to find Jesus. They present him with gifts. Meanwhile, Herod decides, hey, new king, I'm supposed to be the king. And he wants the wise men to come back and tell him where the king is. They don't. He realizes he's been deceived. So he decides he's going to just kill all of the kids, all of the male born to and under in the Bethlehem era. I find it, by the way, amazing that these magi travel all the way from the east to see Jesus. The priests and others are called in, where is Jesus going to be born, the the Messiah to be born? They know the prophecy. They say, oh, it's down the road in Bethlehem. And then they go home instead of going to Bethlehem. I'd have gone to Bethlehem with the wise men. I'd have wanted to see who this is they traveled so far for. But they don't, they go home. Now, the children get slain, the slaughter of the innocents, uh, Rama uh, uh, weeping for her children, uh, uh, Rachel weeping for her children, and it's a, it's a sad moment, it's a sad historical moment, but it's one where Jesus is not captured by it because an angel has appeared to Joseph and said, go down to Egypt with your son. So the family goes to Egypt, comes back out of Egypt, after the death of the, the, of Herod, and Herod is gone. Now there's a real movement here in Matthew's gospel to portray Jesus in light of who Moses was. And just as God called his children out of Egypt, so he has called Jesus, with a quote from the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I have called you to be my son. And Jesus comes out of Egypt, and the parallels between Jesus and Moses are written very plainly in the Hebrew. 
even down to, you remember when, when Moses was being born, how the children in, in, in uh, Pharaoh's land were being too prosperous. So Pharaoh decides, hey, I'm going to kill all the Jewish babies that are males. It's the same parallel. Moses has to go out into hiding later on in his life because Moses' life is being sought after he murdered the, the Egyptian. And when Moses is leaving the wilderness to go back to call the people out, the language that's used for Moses, you can go back now, the people who sought your life are dead, is mimicked by Matthew. He uses the same Septuagint language. When he says to jo- that Joseph was able to leave Egypt and then go back into the promised land because those who had sought the child's life were dead. So Jesus leaves Egypt, comes back into the promised land and settles in Nazareth, which is a pun off of the Hebrew word for a shoot or a branch that comes from Jesse, according to Isaiah. And Jesus settles in Nazareth. So Jesus is a child of prophecy. Now, meanwhile, Matthew tells us, there's John the Baptist going around. And John the Baptist is going around saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And the kingdom of heaven is coming. And he's, and, and he's there, Matthew says, in honor of Isaiah chapter 40, where Isaiah says that there'll be one in the wilderness who is crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, that's a significant statement by Matthew because he's saying that Jesus is the one who the road's being prepared for. But prepare the way of the Lord. The word Lord that Isaiah's using there is not just simply a ruler. He's using the name of God, Hashem. He's saying prepare the way of Hashem, prepare the way of, as we would say, Yahweh. And so it's prepare the way of the Lord. And that, Matthew is saying, is preparing the way of Jesus. He's giving Jesus that divine title. And it's a very profound statement. He says, when Jesus comes, the Lord comes, it's going to be someone who I'm baptizing with water will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's much more worthy than I am. And that's who's coming. And so John the Baptist preaches this. And then Jesus comes down to be baptized by John. John says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus says, you'll baptize me in order to fulfill all righteousness. And that's what I'm here to do. And as he's baptized, the heavens open and and as a dove comes down, There's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is who Jesus is. This is Jesus, fulfiller of all righteousness, God's beloved son. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness, not 40 years as Moses was, this time it's just 40 days. But for 40 days, he's tempted in the wilderness. But unlike Moses and unlike the Israelites, who failed and succumbed to temptation, Jesus does not. And with each temptation, Jesus conquers the temptations, quoting from Deuteronomy, from one of the books that proceeded forth out of the wilderness experience. And those temptations, two of them are embedded with the issue. Hey, if you're the son of God, you got to be hungry. Why don't you turn the rocks into bread? Or if you're the son of God, God will give his angels charge over you and you won't get... Now, Jesus doesn't refute them by saying, oh, I'm not the son of God, because he was. Jesus instead says, 
you know, don't tempt the Lord your God. Man can't live by bread alone. Man will worship only God. And he wins over those temptations. He conquers Satan. And then he goes forth and he starts his ministry. And he starts his ministry in Galilee. And it's a quote that he from Galilee of Galilees has come forth this great light that will shine through the darkness, Matthew says. And that's Jesus, the great light. Jesus begins by calling some of his apostles and he's a leader for those apostles. And he doesn't just lead them, but he teaches them. And then he brings to him in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, uh, and, and again, the parallels to Moses are very starkly written here. Just as Moses leaves Egypt, Moses goes through the wilderness. Moses goes through the waters of the Red Sea. Moses goes up on the mountain to, to, to take the law and then deliver the law to the people. Well, Jesus sits on the mountain and he delivers the law. But as Jesus teaches the law, he doesn't just do it the way Moses does. He goes beyond what Moses is saying. Jesus, as lawgiver, says, well, you've read that you're not supposed to kill. I tell you, you're not even supposed to hate. Don't take an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He teaches the people how to pray. And he says, I haven't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. There's not a jot, not an iota that's going to pass away. It will be fulfilled. And that's what Jesus does. And he teaches as one with authority. He doesn't quote Rabbi so-and-so quoting Rabbi so-and-so quoting Rabbi so-and-so quoting Rabbi so-and-so on what the law says. He says, this is what... You've read, this is what you've been told. This is what I say to you. Because he has the authority to do it. He's a teacher with authority. From there, Jesus goes out and Matthew tells the stories about Jesus as a healer. By the way, that was the first, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew can be divided up into five discourses where Jesus stands up and gives five different discourses. And Jesus does these five discourses and, and it's not lost on a number of scholars that five, of course, are the same as the number of books of Moses. Yet again, another repetition of this mosaic theme throughout Matthew. So with that discourse over, Jesus goes out and he starts healing people. He heals the blind. He heals the lame. He heals the sick. And as he heals them, they call out to him, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals them. And He doesn't just heal them because He can. He heals them as someone who has taken on their illnesses, who has borne their diseases. Because ultimately, disease and illness as a, a, a curse of sin is something that Jesus, Matthew says, will take on behalf of the people. He has the authority to forgive sins. And he makes that clear with some of his healing. He doesn't simply heal. He says, your sins are forgiven because the healing comes from a full forgiveness. And so it is. Jesus goes out and he's on mission. Jesus is doing what God's instructed him to do. He's finding those who are weak. He's finding those who are hurting and he's helping them. In the process, Jesus is homeless. He doesn't have a home. He uses Capernaum and Peter's house for a principal base of operations often. 
But people come up to him and he says, hey, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't own a place or rent a place to lay his head. He's homeless because he's on mission. He's going where God wants him to go. He wasn't looking for his own life. He was looking for those lives he could serve. He wasn't trying to set up an earthly kingdom. He was walking into the kingdom of heaven. A theme of Matthew's. Matthew will talk about the kingdom of heaven over a third of the times that the the word kingdom is used in the Bible. It's used in Matthew or in the New Testament. And then over half of the times you're going to read about the kingdom of heaven there in Matthew. This is a theme for him. And so in the process, Jesus goes out. Now there's a storm and Jesus walks on the water and he tells the storm to be still. And the people are amazed at the elements. I say he walks in the water. That's going to be later. This is one where he's asleep in the boat. But they're amazed that the elements obey Jesus. He goes over and he heals the two Gadarenes, the men of the tombs. And it scares the people. Oh my goodness. This is a guy who's just healed these people that nobody else could heal. These people were dangerous. He didn't just heal people that are naively blind by the road and begging. He didn't just heal some lame guy. He healed the demoniacs who look like World Wrestling Federation guys that are breaking chains and chairs. He's a danger. And they ask him to leave. So Jesus goes back, and this time when he goes back, he calls some more, and he calls Matthew a tax collector. Tax collectors spit, spit. That's not a good thing. Tax collectors are viewed like harlots. They're just, look, tax collectors by definition are doing transactions for the government that's a pagan government, taking money from God's people and giving it to the pagans. And how can a tax collector be a good Jew if a tax collector's not only having dealings with pagans, but is handling their money and taking it away from God's people? Tax collectors, not viewed favorably in his day. Jesus calls one of them, Matthew, and says, come with me and be my disciple. Matthew says, would you come to my house for dinner? And gives what... What another gospel writer calls a sumptuous banquet, but with a measure of humility, Matthew just says, was just some food. And Jesus goes, and there are other tax collectors there. Who else is going to hang around with a tax collector? I'm not. There are other tax collectors there, and other sinful people. And the rulers come up and the Pharisees come up and they say to Jesus' disciples, what kind of a rabbi is he? He's hanging around with all the whores and the tax collectors. And Jesus knows what they're saying and he says, I got a question for you. Where do you think a doctor should be? With the people who are well or the people who are sick? Because that's who Jesus is. He's a physician. They said, well, we don't like you anyway because we've noticed your followers aren't very pious, Mr. Physician. They don't fast. Jesus says that's because when the bridegroom's there, they don't fast. And I'm there as a bridegroom. Meanwhile, there's a girl who's died that Jesus needs to deal with. Matthew says Jesus calls her up as just like waking up a sleeping person because he's the master over death as well. And Jesus continues to walk through and he walks through the crowds and he's there. He's telling people, here's how. You are going to be saved. 
And he sends his apostles and he says, I want you to go through all of the lands and I want you to teach. First go to the Jews, but then you're going to go to the Gentiles. And oh, by the way, when you're out and about, you're going to be abused and you're going to be hated and you're going to be persecuted. And the reason why is because people won't be fond of me. And it's my message that you're going to be taking out there. But don't worry about it. You keep on going. Because there will come a time when the Son of Man comes again. And Son of Man itself is a term pregnant with Old Testament imagery. From Daniel chapter 7, if nowhere else. Daniel chapter 7 sees the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, who goes before the Ancient of Days and is given an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that will never end. And that's who Jesus says He is. The Son of Man who will come again. And then when the children are brought, it's Jesus who cares for the children because He's a prophet who takes care of those who are lesser. Those that people don't count. That's who Jesus is. Meanwhile, John the Baptist has been arrested. John the Baptist has been beheaded. And the question arises, how are people seeing Jesus? We've had Old Testament quotation after Old Testament quotation from Matthew of who Jesus is. We've had example after example of who Jesus is. But now the question starts turning, who do other people perceive Him to be? Herod, the Tetrarch, who's beheaded John the Baptist, is scared to death. He thinks uh, uh, he's John. John's curious before John's beheaded while he's in jail. John's the one who says, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Sends his uh, fellows to ask. Jesus' response is, you go tell him that the Lord's glad tidings are here. It's the year of the Lord's favor. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the mute are talking. You go tell him the year of the Lord's favor is here. The Messiah has come. Well, as I said, we go from there and, and, and Jesus is, is teaching people that he's going to be greater than the temple. One greater than the temples amongst them. And that comes out of a story where Jesus and his apostles are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. And the apostles pick some grain. And the Pharisees get on Jesus and say, hey, what right do they have to break the law? you got lawbreakers here. They're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus explains, look, someone greater than the temples here. You shouldn't be talking about this right now. And I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who set up the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not made for man. Man was made for, I mean, yeah, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And Jesus continues to heal. And then the others say, who is he? The others are now saying, okay, well, he's not just a lawbreaker. He's not just hanging around with prostitutes. He's not just Herod. I mean, a John the Baptist. Maybe he's Satan because he's throwing out demons. Who else has control over Satan but demons? And Jesus says, oh no. To do this, you have to bind the strong man before you can plunder his house. I'm the plunderer of strongholds. I'm the one who has control over Satan. So as other people are trying to jostle on who he is, they ask for a sign. Jesus, give us a sign. If you're the Messiah, give us a sign. He says, I'm not just here to... I'm not the little puppet on a string. You say dance, I dance. You want a sign? You'll get the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so will be the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And just as Jonah, by the way, went out, true, under a bit of coercion, but went out finally and preached, 
to the Gentiles, if you will, to the pagans. So Jesus has a much larger family than the world perceives because his mom and his brothers come to him and say, hey, can you send Jesus out here? And they say, your mom and your brothers are out there. And Jesus' response is, my family is so much bigger than that. And I'm here just as the sign of Jonah in the belly of the whale, the sign of Jonah in what I'm preaching. My message is beyond the immediate family. It's something much larger than that. And so we have Jesus, who then begins another discourse as he teaches parables about the kingdom. He teaches that the kingdom is seed along a path that the birds snatch up, or that gets choked out, or that doesn't have adequate root, or that grows in good soil and bears fruit. He teaches that the kingdom's like a mustard seed, something really small that's going to grow into a massive, worldwide, world-reaching faith. He teaches that the kingdom's like a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast that you put that'll permeate through an entire loaf and make the whole loaf rise. That the kingdom of heaven's like a fine pearl that someone will go sell and, and buy. <coughs> Excuse me. And he teaches these parables. Who is this Jesus? When John the Baptist is beheaded, that's when Herod gets frightened and says, oh, you know, it's that famous Jesus guy we've been hearing about. And his fame is so great that the crowds start following him everywhere. And they're not just following him, they're running, they don't have any food, they run out of eat. Jesus feeds them because Jesus is also a provider. Jesus continues in Matthew's story. And this time he walks on the water and Peter gets out and tries to walk with him. And Peter does until Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and realizes what he's really doing and starts to fall into the water, and Jesus reaches in and saves him. But the comment is made, truly, this is the Son of God. Jesus then begins to teach more about how to live, and what they needed to be doing. And he's shown to be a reliable guide to the law. He explains the law of Moses. He explains what it is to follow it. Then we have the Canaanite woman who needs healing, and Jesus heals her because he's Lord to the Gentiles as well as Lord to the Jews. Jesus continues in Matthew's Gospel, and He continues to unfold Jesus, and Jesus has an encounter with His disciples. They're going to Caesarea Philippi, and in Caesarea Philippi, there's a grotto. It's at the foot of Mount Hermon, and there's a, an, a, an idol uh, uh, built to Pan, a, a, a worship center built to the Greek god Pan there. And Jesus, on His way to this, this is what it's famous for says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who are they saying? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter says, you're Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Heaven and earth has revealed this to you. And this is who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus says, now, not only am I Messiah, not only am I Son of God, not only are you correct, but I'm setting my face to Jerusalem. I'm going south from here. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And it's at that point Peter says, oh, heavens, no, don't let that happen to you, Lord. And God says, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking the way God thinks. You're thinking the way man thinks. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is set to suffer on behalf of the people. He is the Isaiah 53 lamb led to the slaughter. On the way toward Jerusalem, there's a stop 
They're on a mountain. Jesus goes up with several of his apostles, including Peter. And Moses appears and Elijah appears as Jesus is transfigured and his garment is white as snow and his face is radiant with light. And he's worshipped and, 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 and considered with Moses and Elijah there and he holds court with them as the transfigured Son of God. Jesus continues on from there. People, Lord, would you, would you please help me? Would you please heal me? The blind. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus is willingly doing that, but He's also willingly compliant with the tax authorities. When it comes time to pay the tax, He pays the tax. And He says, I don't pay the tax because the government has authority over me. I pay the tax because it's easier to do it. And I'm willingly compliant. And that's the way Jesus is. Jesus then proceeds forth from there and we have Jesus again in a discourse, giving the law, explaining the law. And this is a discourse while He's in the middle of teaching these high and mighty lofty things about God and His requirements. There are some children and people say, hey, get the the way. This is for the adults. And He stops what He's doing and He says, no, no, no. And He in fact says part of the law is you better take care of the children. And if anyone lets the children suffer, it will not look good for them. It's not what they need to be doing. He's there to take care of the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, and others. Now we get to the point for the triumphal entry, where he's actually come in to Jeru- come down to Jerusalem and he's set to go in. And Jesus says, go get a donkey, because I'm going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey, because that's what the prophet said. Look, here comes your king, humble, and on the back of a donkey. Jesus doesn't ride in on a horse. He doesn't ride in in a military victory. He rides in on a compliant donkey because He's a king who's taking a city that will surrender itself. Even as He does so in humility. Jesus doesn't take people by force into His kingdom. His is a kingdom where people choose to enter. He goes in. And he goes in under the prophecies as Savior and a prophet from Nazareth. And that's what the people understand. And so he comes in and they're shouting out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Which is Aramaic. Save us! We pray you! Save us! Oh Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. This is deemed perfect praise as Jesus is told, can't you hush the crowd? No, out of the mouths of babes and infants shall come forth perfect praise. Because God as Savior, Jesus as Savior, is the perfect praise. It's truly ascribing to Jesus the place of honor only Jesus can hold. Savior. Jesus goes in, He cleanses the temple. It's got the rulers upset, it's got the the chief priests upset. But he does it anyway. And he tells the people that, that the stone the builders rejected is going to become the capstone. It's going to be that stone on the top on the corner that holds the whole building together. So for them not to fret over the fact he's being rejected. They send people to test him. They've got, oh, should we pay our taxes? And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They send the Sadducees to test him. Oh, this man is married. Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. This man's married. He dies. His brother takes his wife. Brother dies. Brother takes wife. Brother dies. Takes wife. Brother dies. It happens six times. Now, 
They're dead. They're in heaven, if there is one. Who gets the woman? Jesus says, oh, you are quite wrong, he says, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. See, the Sadducees concentrated on the Pentateuch, on the five books of Moses. And that's why they didn't have a resurrection in their theology. They didn't see it in there. But Jesus goes to the Pentateuch and says, He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. They go away befuddled. Some others, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus tells them. Jesus, Son of David, Lord of David. Jesus says, you want to ask me a question? I'll ask you one. How can screw, who is the Messiah, son of David? How can the son of David also be the Lord of David? Because David says, the Lord said to my Lord, and he quotes Psalm, I think it's 110. And they go away, oh man, now he's got us. We didn't have, we weren't ready for that. So he's the teacher of the teachers as well. Now they want to know, when are you coming again? And when's the end of the world? And how's all of this going to happen? And Jesus gives the prophecies of the new age. And he talks about the coming of the Son of Man again. And in the midst of all of this, as it continues, Jesus pulls his apostles together. He has that last supper with them. And in the last supper, he explains, I am the body of the church. I am the blood of the church. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out on your behalf. The blood of the covenant. And the man of... Oh, he goes to Caiaphas. It's in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, who challenges Jesus. Where Jesus says, Caiaphas, you'll see the Son of Man coming in judgment. And Jesus flips the Daniel 7 prophecy upside down on Caiaphas. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man is going up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God in an everlasting kingdom and dominion. But when Jesus flips it on Caiaphas, he says that son of man with the everlasting kingdom from the right hand of God is going to come back down here and is going to judge the earth. Caiaphas says, well, if that's who you are, that's blasphemy. Sends him to Pilate. Pilate washes his hands of him, sends him to be crucified. But in the process, Pilate's going to relieve... We're out of time. Can I have four more minutes of your time? In the process, Pilate says, hey, it's time for me to release a prisoner. I do this once a year. I got two choices. You want Jesus or you want Barabbas? The people shout, Barabbas, Barabbas. Barabbas is Aramaic. It means the son of the father, Bar-Abbas. Unknowingly, the people are shouting out, release the son of the father. Meaning Barabbas, when the son of the father was there. And Pilate says, well then what do I do with Jesus? And do you know what the people yell? Pilate says, they they yell, crucify him. He says, why? I hadn't done anything. And their response is, his blood be on us and our children. That's the only hope any of us have. But again, they see this in ignorance. Matthew writes it with pungent meaning. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus comes again. And Matthew's very clear on the resurrection. 
Matthew's very clear the two Marys saw the, the body put in the tomb. They saw the stone there. They, they, they were at that tomb. The stone rolled away. The body missing. The guards were there. The guards get bought off to say that someone stole Jesus while they were uh, sleeping. His disciples. They were sleeping, but they saw who it was. And Matthew says, that's still the story going around today. A silly story. Matthew is written in a very Jewish chiastic sense. The, it, 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 if you've been in our class, we don't have time to go into it right now, but the chiasm there points to the middle of Matthew as something very significant. And it's that middle of Matthew where Jesus says to Peter, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then he asks the more pointed question, who do you say that I am? And that's our question. That's the first thing Matthew wants us to do when we read his gospel, I think, is ask that question, okay then, who is he? Jesus, Messiah of prophecy, fulfilled, righteousness, provider, healer, cleanser, dead, buried, resurrected, Lord, Son of Man, Son of David, Son of Abraham, coming again in judgment and in glory, provider for His people, King of kings, God with us, Savior. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that is the summation of the book. That is who Jesus is. Jesus, Messiah, Savior, anointed prophet, priest, and king, the Son of the living God. And it was in response to that that Jesus said, on this rock, on the rock of this, the, the, the fact of Jesus being the Messiah, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that's 28 chapters of the book of Matthew. And it's my prayer that Jesus will come quickly. Now we'll dig in a little deeper next time. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your love. It's amazing to look at your hand weaving in and out of the lives of humanity. In and out of the words we read, the stories we tell, the history we live bringing us today to this point with a chance to read such a magnificent gospel portrait of Jesus Christ through whom we pray. Amen.